Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, friends. Today's guest is Chris Herring. Chris is an excellent writer for 538. He covers the NBA for 538 and does a terrific job. He is a very accomplished uh, basketball writer, one of my favorites. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Herring, which is H-E-R-R-I-N-G underscore NBA. And uh, Chris's perspective is pretty fun, uh, really vibrant writer and brings a lot of storytelling chops to the job, uh, but also deals with the analytical side uh, in a really interesting way, which of course makes him a great fit for 538. And I chatted with him in Chicago uh, while the Cubs were hosting playoff games, so this is a little while back. I was right at the beginning of NBA season, pretty much right on the eve of NBA season, so uh, we did hold it for a couple weeks uh, but it was a great conversation, and there are lots of uh, conversations that are still germane to the coming season, which you will be able to listen to and enjoy. Uh, and uh, I'm excited that it's basketball season. I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, you can catch my stuff at CBS Sports, of course. I will have – actually, there's a really cool project that I'm going to be working on with a guy named Brad Bakken. And you'll see that coming down the pike, and it's about baseball and a whole bunch of billions of other sports, too. Uh, Brad and I just had a good chat about that today, actually, and we're going to get into that. So look for that coming out. And I'll have one more piece for SI.com also this year, uh, basically kind of a rundown of how all 30 teams fared in 2017 and a quick look ahead to 2018. That'll probably come out eh, a little bit before Thanksgiving, mid-November, something like that. So you can check all that good stuff out. And uh, I appreciate your support, as always. For this podcast and all my other endeavors. So there you go. It is the next episode of the Jonah Carey Podcast. And it is with Chris Herring. Enjoy. Chicago, Chris Herring. Hey, man, how are you? I'm good. It's so nice to meet you. You too. This is really a treat for me to meet you. I'm a fan of your work, and uh, this is great timing, because I'm running around, I'm doing all these kind of like non-topical podcasts, but the NBA started last night, <laughs> and I love the NBA so much, and there were two games, and in those two games, you had months of drama, and so I guess we could start with the Celtics-Cavs game, and... You know, it's funny about the Hayward injury. It was gruesome, but what ended up coming out of that reminded me of why the NBA is so obviously the best league, and it's because the NBA is the league of the players. It's not about old Jerry Richardson who has a statue of himself because he's a rich guy who has a team <laughs> or whatever. It is about them, and it, it's reflected on social media, and everybody's coming out and saying, prayers up for this guy, and let's see what happens in this one. And it's, it, it's a league of empathy and it's a league of looking out for each other it's a league of we all have a limited shelf life let's make the best of it and all that and i'm wondering if if your experience you know but maybe personally or with readers is the same like obviously it's awesome to watch curry or lebron and all these guys but if people's enjoyment of the sport has become enhanced by the fact that the sport is so damn good it makes me feel good to be an nba fan in a way that it does not as an, if i was an nfl fan some of the stuff that makes the league so great is the same reason that I think the diehards and the old folks that still like the sport 
are so angry with it. Yeah. I think the fact that these guys like each other so much and that they've played against each other in AAU for four and five years by the time they get to the league, and the fact that now it seems like the Olympics is kind of a great breeding ground for recruiting um, when you look at Iguodala and, and Steph and, and all these guys and, and bringing these super teams together, that that sort of stuff is going to come out. I mean, it's also human to show empathy for someone when they break a leg, literally break a leg. Um, but to, to see the tweets that were coming out of last night, that LeBron went back there to go check on him, that Isaiah Thomas, who wasn't playing because he's hurt himself, can probably relate with a lot of this, and happened to recruit Gordon Hayward yep. to Boston. Goes Kobe's in there. Instagram. And, and then the crazy thing yeah. about this, like I was sitting there thinking about the Isaiah Thomas thing, and this is literally a few hours after Danny Ainge said something to the effect of, I'm not sure what we really owe him at this point. The fact that we traded him, yes, he went through a lot of personal ordeals in his personal life, lost a sister, yeah. lost a tooth, um, you know, in the midst of the playoffs, obviously played through an injury Appreciate for a lot of that time, and then says something to the effect like, we're not sure what we owe him, and then, you know, the compassion that he shows for someone that's not even on his team, and never technically has been, really, when you consider that there wasn't a season going on during all that. So that stuff, I think that stuff makes the league better. It makes it more entertaining. The Dwayne Wade stuff that we've had so much fun with over the last week or two, watching him play with his best friend, yeah. and watching even the videos that, that they did with Rachel Nichols. Oh, that was so good. It's a great league, and I, I, I can say, I think all of us can say that, like, the competition level isn't great as far as what we're going to see in the finals. It, it looks like there's a very clear favorite. I think literally every single person over at my place at ESPN picked the Warriors to win the championship. But there there are really interesting storylines, which still makes it fun to write about. And I think the stuff leading up to the finals is still interesting to see how that's going to happen. You can't take much for granted. Maybe that the Warriors will win, but obviously not that the Celtics are going to be there playing them or that even if the Celtics are going to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, Dan Devine, I thought, did a great piece for Yahoo. They're super good. Oh, God. But the list of favorite NBA writers that I have just keeps going forever. But he wrote, basically, it's not all about who wins the title, and, and there are dramas. And because Minnesota a couple years ago, there's this team coming on and what's happening. So it's great. And and one thing that, I mean, I think I'm going to know the answer to this question, but I feel like the old-timers who kind of started to get into it was, like, I'm old enough to remember Mikhail clotheslining Rambis, and I'm old enough to remember all that stuff. <laughs> Danny Ainge was my guy, not because he was the best player, but because he's the biggest shit disturber. And that's how I played, too. I was, <laughs> you never wanted to play with me. I was just, like, crappy. I used to, like, Claude Lemieux in hockey, too. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. that guy. I appreciate Jordan. Dominique was, like, the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. But I like that kind of stuff. And that animosity's gone away. You said, well, the competition might not be that strong because the Warriors are probably the best team. But it's not like in night, night in, night out. If you watch a Bucks, whatever Celtics game, it's going to be competitive just because they're hugging and whatever, and, and they might truly be friends. You don't get the sense that they won't metaphorically step on and got another guy's throat. So, but I feel like there's still a little bit of that criticism from the holdouts. Like Barkley does this all the time. He's like, yeah. "What are you doing, man? Why are you hugging? Whatever." It's like it's not 1988 anymore. You don't have to hate everybody. You could be ultra competitive. And even Wade and LeBron, when they would play against each other, oh, they went at it. You know, they didn't punch each other, or whatever. But there was no mercy. You know, splashing guy's face, dunking a guy's face, whatever needed to happen. Yeah, I'm wondering, and maybe it's just that I'm young and I'm optimistic that stuff will kind of change. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much longer that that take that the league has to be one that hates each other, that threes are something that the league does too much of, yeah. that this kind of antiquated thing, I wonder how much longer that's going to hold out. Because at this point, the teams themselves have kind of moved away from that. Yeah. And clearly they want guys to like each other. 
some teams might sign a guy hoping that that'll help lure somebody else. I covered, hell, I covered the Knicks when they let J.R. Smith, uh, his brother, sign on with the team yeah. because they felt like not even that that would give them leverage. They did that after J.R. had signed long term, but I kind of feel like they did it to be on his good side and to be on JR's agency's good side, which was also LeBron and Carmelo's agency. And so there's all sorts of stuff that is kind of like good faith, goodwill-based, and the three-point shooting is here to stay. And so when I look at those things that are more of an, a previous generation, I kind of wonder how much longer that will be around. Maybe it'll be around forever. Maybe we'll take on our parents' thinking in terms of the way we view that yeah. stuff. But I can't imagine that you, you look at stuff that Barkley says and you look at it a year later – and how quickly it's kind of proven wrong or inconsequential. And so I just wonder how much that actually will matter long term. Uh, my fa- I, I, it's mandated according to the rules of my podcast that I have to bring this up because it's going to be a Montreal Expo story. Because <laughs> how could I not? My favorite story of recruiting somebody to make somebody else feel comfortable, the Expos had a player named Vladimir Guerrero. Fantastic baseball player. He's going to bring him in the Hall of Fame next year. And his son now. His son and his son is swag to the max. He, he tripled the other day. I saw that. He did a ravishing Rick Rude dance. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> all of it is great. And Vlad uh, was a homebody and he lived with his mom in a condo in Montreal. And his mom hmm. would cook for him and stuff like that. Very shy guy. I've met him. He's still like that now. Is he? Yeah. Um, and the Expos acquired his brother, Wilton Guerrero, who was a marginal player who probably wouldn't be in the big leagues or would be right on the fringe. And the three of them lived in an apartment together. And they would, his mom would cook for the entire team. Or maybe they were playing the Mets and Vladdy and Wilton had players. And so they would all do that stuff. And it was just, that was his comfort level that he was, his kind of independence level was equivalent to a 12-year-old. It wasn't that he was not a smart guy or a good guy or anything like that. It was just that was what he was. And so that's what they did. And I find that fascinating. And I think that athletes, it's easy to forget that, like, we have comfort zones, like maybe, you know, you couldn't thrive in your job as much if you didn't have your partner or if you didn't have whatever it is. If you want to have a blankie, that's okay. <laughs> and somehow, you know, well, they're real men and this, that. Like, why do they have to have different societal standards? So the JR's brother, to me, resonates. Like, wait, he's not going to contribute to the roster in any way, but if, if you're going to get the most out of the player, why wouldn't you? That's what makes LeBron so interesting. I mean, I think we finally reached this point now, I mean, probably a while ago that we reached this point, but this idea that, LeBron is LeBron. You take whatever comes with him. Yeah. Uh, if that means signing friends, you obviously saw James Jones hung, hung around for years. He at also won Miami. made the title, uh, finals five exactly. years ago. Yeah. And so you look at him, and I mean, LeBron has several times said that's the best teammate he's ever had. Yep. So it's very clear to see that you know you can kind of draw a conclusion there. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at that, and if you look back at, I think Brian Windhorst and Dave McMiniman wrote this um, that. The Bulls very quickly didn't really endear themselves to LeBron's folks when he was a free agent back in 2010. It was in 2010, 2011, yeah. whenever that was. Just this idea, basically, that LeBron kind of, and, and Phil even said this, like this idea that LeBron had a posse, which became a very controversial phrase after a while. But that idea and whether or not the Bulls were happy to indulge that and to let LeBron's friends ride planes. And, and even what I think Phil mentioned specifically and his conversation with Jackie McMullen was this idea that Phil took issue with LeBron wanting to stay back in a certain city for an extra day while the rest of the team, that it would have held up the team an extra day. And it's like, well, do you just let LeBron have fun in another city for another day so he can visit with a friend? Yeah. Or do you say that, like, no, LeBron can't be bigger than the team? Like, 
it's LeBron James. He's it's bigger like, than the sport. <laughs> I mean, he's the biggest athlete in the world yeah. by some metrics. I mean, sure. especially Messi our country would be the other sure. guy. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's like I, I get the debate and I get that, but it's like it's also really funny to hear Phil Jackson that just literally washed out of New York say that like, oh, you can't be bigger than the team. It's like, well, you know, he has one game that's been better than the last three years of your franchise, um, and so it's 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 interesting to hear that. And you still have a lot of people in the league that are too concerned about these guys' egos, and it, it does kind of create an uncomfortable balance there. You made me nervous talking about Phil that way because we just talked about how maybe we're all going to grow up to be... I mean, Phil was a counterculture guy to the max Completely. in the 60s and 70s. Completely. And like, is, you know, I'm 43. Like, am I a year <laughs> away from just being, like, a horrible person? I, I really hope not. I don't want to become this curmudgeon. No, really no, no, no. Um, so I want to ask you about the Cavs. They saw... I mean, it's one game. We're not going to extrapolate many things large, obviously ready for 538. We all understand data and all that stuff. But I wonder what the team is going to look like. And obviously we don't know yet when Isaiah is in the lineup, when Crowder's been melded, and when they figure out their new identity. Tristan's playing fewer. He's, he's coming off the bench. It's a totally different team. Could this team be better than last year without Kyrie? You don't think so? With I, the multiple pieces? I don't even think that it's Kyrie um, that they can't replace. I think if you had a healthy Isaiah Thomas, That's, yeah. you could do that. If, and if that was mainly him and Jake Crowder and other guys, you could do that. I think the issue now is that the guys that you've replaced Thomas with, yeah. Derek Rose, who oh. we already kind of saw, like you said, one game, small sample. I also got a chance to watch plenty of his games when he was with the Knicks. I live in Chicago. I'm from Chicago. I watched plenty of his games with the Bulls after the injury, which yeah. that's the key, is that he's He's not the same player. The quickness is still there, but he lost two or three years of basketball. Yeah. And never really developed in some of the areas that you hoped he would as a jump shooter. Uh, he's a good mid-range jump shooter. I actually wrote about that last year. Yeah. Flattest, antiquated in this league. Flattest jump shot in the league. Flattest jump shot that actually goes in at above average rate Dennis in Johnson the league. was the other guy. Was he? Yeah. Dennis Johnson, a very <laughs> flat jumper. As I grow, you could probably pair things. Dennis Johnson with him and have a really great backcourt. Prime That'd be Derek fun. Rose and Dennis Johnson. Yeah. I'd like that. But yeah. but Derek Rose and the fact that he just he's not the same finisher around the rim that he used to be, and he's he's never been great at his peripheral vision when he goes to the basket. Uh. He's one of the guys that they've got all sorts of numbers in basketball that are so much fun to parse and looking at pass rates out of drives that they have to the basket. He's always in the bottom five of the league huh. in terms of how often he passes the ball out of a drive. Even now that he can't dunk in traffic, he's still not Exactly. Off. And the other thing, and I've heard this, I don't know, I've never just asked him this, I kind of want to, the idea that he grew up here in Chicago and yeah. that he played in, in such rough areas and with players where you couldn't call fouls, they weren't going to give you fouls on the playground. And so this idea that because of that, he didn't go for fouls and now still doesn't go for fouls. He tries to go around and over people. Huh. And so he contorts his body to go around to try to almost seemingly avoid contact, whereas most people look for it or create mm-hmm. it themselves. And so that that's a problem here because the one thing that could work for him is that maybe he'll be better around the basket this year because he's going to have so much space yeah. in this Cleveland offense. The problem is in this Cleveland offense, even if you don't score, you can set up somebody else. LeBron is great at that. The game-winning shot last night was from a play that LeBron created from yep. the paint, hitting Kevin Love when he was double-teamed. And so my concern is that Derrick Rose, when he's not the one driving, when LeBron is, he becomes one of those people on the perimeter, and then what is he going to do from there because he doesn't have a good jump shot? So yeah. that's my concern. I don't think he fits particularly well. I worry about Isaiah Thomas being rusty when he comes back yeah. and whether he's really full bore when he comes back late in the season. 
So I've got some concerns about this team. I, I don't like the fact that Dwayne Wade is starting over um, J.R. Smith. Yeah. I, that strikes me as like a LeBron thing and trying to stay in LeBron's good graces right before he becomes a free agent. I don't feel like that's the best fit uh, in terms of lineups. And, and I don't love the fact that Tristan Thompson is not starting. Yeah. He's really the lone guy that is a good rim protector for that team. So I've got a lot of questions about how some of this stuff will work for them. I don't see them being better. Maybe record-wise they could be better because Boston will be worse. But I don't necessarily think that um, that they're going to be a better team than they were last year. Even in the finals when they struggle a little bit, I, I think the gap actually widened in terms of Golden State and Cleveland. Wow. Uh, Houston put up a really good showing on opening night. And, uh, you know, as a stats dork, of course, obviously I have Daryl Morey on speed dial. Don't we all? <laughs> I think that's the thing. I don't know. That's literally <laughs> the only guy I know in the NBA. Um, he's great. He is great. And he's thoughtful and interesting. And um, I chatted with... Uh, Another, I'm probably not supposed to say, another person in the organization, when they came to Denver, we just sat and watched the whole first half, the other three of us. Very interesting to learn about the process and stuff and how they do stuff. It's not like it's unique to shoot threes. It's not like it's unique to own, to even try to shoot threes or go to the line. All this stuff makes sense. Mid-range is antiquated and all that stuff. Um, but while the Warriors answered the question of can you shoot jumpers and win a title, emphatically yes, Houston is so committed to it and yeah. so focused on that it's very interesting. And then you up the ante by getting CP3 to go with Harden, which is cool but weird. Very weird. So what do you think happens with this? Could this team be better than last year? CP's a great player, but how does this go? I, I think, I'll, I'll tell you what, off the first game, I'm like, this doesn't look like this works real well to me. Um, and they put up 122 on the champions. They so. did, and they did it with Chris Paul sitting on the bench to end the game. That's true. Which was, you know, <laughs> like, I can't remember the last time seeing that, but... The, the strange things about that team now that I look at and watching Chris Paul try to direct traffic while he's playing off the ball. You're used to seeing point guards do that. Yeah. Watching someone away from the ball direct two and three different people in the play somewhere else, that's something I'm not used to seeing. I watched it happen, and I kind of felt like I saw Harden react to it happening because he was thrown off by it too. Yeah. So it, it, there is a part of it that I do kind of wonder. Too many chefs in the kitchen sort of thing. The one thing that... It could really help, though. I feel like we're not going to know until we get to the playoffs. This is a team that's going to make the playoffs. Yes. That's going to be, you know, presumably a, a upper half of the the playoff race in terms of the West top four team. But the thing that really did Houston in last year, I think, was the fact that Harden just got so exhausted. He was so tired. And we, we remember that game six performance against the Spurs was just so lifeless and one of the worst performances I've seen. Um, of a player of that caliber. And so does Chris Paul save James Harden's legs? Yeah. And do they save each other a little bit? Chris Paul's been really injury prone, by one of the biggest knocks on him, yeah. not anything he can control. But do they help each other by kind of leaving more in the tank for the end of the season when you need these guys healthy? And if that's the case, maybe you're willing to kind of deal with the give and take that happens there on the court, the confusion that happens. But they're going to have to play together, too, to get used to playing with each other. Yeah, I just... It feels like the Rockets and the Celtics in similar ways are just like, we have a master plan, and then they have to wait for the big asset, and wait and wait and wait, and then they got yeah. it, and it's like, okay, well, now the Celtics have Hayward out for the season, and the Rockets do have two awesome guys, but it doesn't necessarily... But they play. replicate a lot of what they do, and that's my thing is... Yeah. My, my, and I mean, you've talked to Daryl, I've talked to him a little bit too. Yeah. My only question for them long term is like, okay, 
So what if just shooting more threes than the Warriors and shooting more threes every year isn't the answer? Yeah. Because if it's not, I don't know what their answer is. They're, they don't really have the space to go get they another They can't defend star. like the Warriors do. They can't defend as well, and I do think they got better defending this year. Mm-hmm. I don't think Beverly – I don't think Chris Paul's necessarily an upgrade on Beverly defensively. Yeah. But then you look at Luke Mbamute. You look at uh, P.J. Tucker, yep. uh, guys that are going to play big Capella minutes for them. Yeah, Capella's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, young player and will still get better. Mm-hmm. They've still got Ariza there. Ryan Anderson's not defending worth a damn. But pretty much most of their guys in their lineup, with the exception of Harden, and I even think with him it's more optional. Like, if he wants to defend, he can do it. And maybe he won't be so tired. People would attribute exactly. the lack of effort. We don't know. Maybe and I dead. think of that with Westbrook, too, now that he's uh. got Paul George and Carmelo. That's the team I actually tend to really like right now. Really? Oklahoma City because – I feel like they their gaps were all scoring based. Yeah. Whereas they already had a good a top five, top six defense in the Roberson league. Roberson and Adams can both play. They're, uh, they're solid yeah. and they're good on defense. Yeah. And so you had that. Now you had Paul George, who's great on both sides, yes. and and doesn't have to do as much on offense now. And you had Carmelo, who might feel like playing defense now that he's with a good team. Yeah. And he doesn't have to create everything for himself. And yeah. so maybe he's better on offense. With the Olympic he's version Olympic of him that we've seen. Exactly, so yeah. I, I tend to think that they're actually closer. They're, they're a little thin on their bench, yeah. but I tend to, when I go back and line. forth yeah. between Houston and Oklahoma City and who I think is more of a contender, I tend to lean more toward Oklahoma City. That's interesting. I wonder, Russ, what makes Russ, more aesthetically than statistically, but what makes him just a, a dynamo is the fact that it's just, that was the most exciting year last year for, 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 for as a fan for me to watch Russ because he's just like, I don't care. I'm just going to do whatever I need to do. And I guess he was a a slightly restrained version of himself to some extent when he played with KD, but now he's got two other guys. Does that mean that he conserves his minutes? Does that mean that he'll take a playoff a little bit? I wonder wonder if he even has that, I don't even want to say second gear, but just like one and a half gear that he can slow down (laughs) at all because I think it would benefit him. But then again, people have been telling him, oh, you need to slow it down. He literally has a commercial where he's refuting this and he's saying, no, no, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to pull up a (laughs) rap and that's it. And and maybe the path to like glory beyond what we expect is just him pulling it back just a little, not in Game Seven of a playoff series, but like you know in December. I, I don't know. I, I think he's capable. I I wonder deep down if he had to experience last year and get the individual accolade first, because That's I fair. still remember you know Kevin Durant being a scoring champion, and the year that I covered the Knicks where Carmelo won the scoring title in twelve thirteen. Kevin Durant was about to win it. Carmelo had a great performance, and Durant really struggled, and that kind of reversed them. And then Durant ceded it to him, and he sat down for the last game or two of the year said, I'm not going for the scoring title anymore. Carmelo has it. Yeah. He did that. Had he not done that, I think it would have been the first time in history, and maybe Russ did it one other time anyway, I just didn't recognize, that a player won the scoring title but didn't take the most shots on his team. Wow. And that's and that's kind of where wow, that balance bonkers. is like. The idea that you could have someone that is out shooting the guy that is your best scorer, yeah. the, the league's best scorer. And yeah. so I wonder to some extent whether Russ needed the validation to show that he's the best player in the league. And, and I don't even think MVP proves that. But to show that he can do it, to show that he can will a team into the playoffs by himself, to really push a team in the playoffs. Now, they didn't really do that, but clearly it wasn't his fault that they didn't do that. They outscored Houston while he was on the court in that series. But I wonder if he had to get that out of his system and prove that he can do this without Kevin Durant. And now maybe he's more willing to be a team player. He also has a better team now. And so the idea that if he couldn't be a team player before because his team wasn't that good, that excuse is off the table. So I'm, I'm, 
I'm hoping that his game grows a little bit and that he can distribute the ball in a way that is better for his team. I think he has reason to do that now, and I think it will speak volumes about what sort of player he is, depending on whether he can or can't do that. I'm pretty obsessed with roster building, as you could probably tell, baseball, basketball, whatever. <laughs> and uh, there, I don't know, I, I'm killing myself because I'm trying to remember the author of the article's name, but he's an ESPN Stats and Info guy, and I even tweeted him. I said, this is such a good story, and it was about the Denver Nuggets. And he's saying the Denver Nuggets could be the new Warriors, which sounds that shit insane. But you start to think about it. He's talking about the template with how you do it. It's you get a high draft pick when you can, but you hit on lower ones. So they hit on Jokic, obviously. They hit on Gary Harris, right. obviously. Um, maybe a Moutier or a Murray or whatever develops. You get you go get one really solid two way veteran, Iguodala, Paul Millsap, and you you know, and then some things have to fall into place. There has to be a third star that emerges. Of course, from some, you always need a little bit of luck anyway. No question about it. But it's like, oh. Oh, and then you start to realize that we're, we're, we're frothing at the mouth over the free agent wars and who's going to court who or whatever. But I think of it in terms of like the New York Yankees of the 90s, that they became a dynasty because all their young dudes became – like Jeter, when, when he was child, Jeter was amazing. And all those guys – and maybe there was something to that in the NBA. Like somebody said something about the Warriors – and the Warriors are probably going to win this year – but somebody said something today about, you know, Curry and Durant are 29. That doesn't sound that old, but they got a lot of miles on the odometer or whatever. And that youth, 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 youth is so important, especially if they can somehow develop quickly. And maybe, maybe it's not this year, but maybe we're sleeping on how fast Denver can come or how fast Minnesota can come or how fast Milwaukee can come. Maybe it's not, oh, yeah, four years from now when the Warriors are blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's like next season that they're really good and dangerous. I think I always think it's, it happens a lot quicker than you realize. Yeah. Golden State happened a lot quicker than we realized. They went from being, I can't remember if it was 51 or 53 wins. Mark Jackson improved for the three years he was there. And then they went from that to being a 67-win team yeah. in one season without really – I mean, they added Iguodala – but they didn't add anything really, really. I mean, Iguodala wasn't the big signing that summer. I want to say that was the same summer that Dwight Howard moved teams, and so yeah. that by no means was that really the the signature signing of the summer. And they still improved by fourteen or fifteen wins as a playoff team. That's rare where you do that. That's the kind of thing Houston did last year, uh, which is kind of what made them all the rage to some people and thought maybe they could provide a challenge to the Warriors. But taking that step up. It generally happens when guys are younger. Um, it generally happens when guys are comfortable in their roles. Yep. And I think that's part of the reason that you saw Oklahoma City kind of ascend the way that they did. And I don't think Denver's quite there with that. I don't expect them to make that sort of jump. Yeah. That said, I'll probably get skewered for saying this when we listen to it a couple months from now. <laughs> I could see a team like Denver having more wins than a team like San Antonio this year. Huh? San Antonio has some weird things going on. Tony Marcus Parker's going to be out for a month. A billion dollars. I don't understand. That shocked me. Uh, <laughs> what is the problem? I, I've said a couple <laughs> times now that that's a team that like I don't dare question them too much. Oh, but Buford's a genius. So's Papa. Like, what are you doing? All of a sudden, though, he can't like, play. three years, $48 million for Powell. At this point, he's 37 years yeah. old. Aldridge, now, with him, it's an extension, not a, a, a totally new contract. Yeah. And it's also a situation where I understand that the money de-escalates over the course yeah, of the contract. Yeah, $7 million in the third year. So I, I kind of get some elements of it. Maybe you guys are better off. Kind of like the married couple that, like, where are you really going to go at this point? Maybe it's that. But it's like he, he was so disappointed with the way things panned out. And just laid an egg once Kawhi got hurt last year. Yeah. But all that to say, I could see Denver having a better season than them mm-hmm. if their parts gel. I love Paul Millsap. I think he's easily one of the most underrated players. Like, I always consider this. 
how underrated is a player if I don't know what he sounds like on camera? And I interviewed Paul Millsap at the All-Star Game. I was like, I don't think I've ever heard him talk before. <laughs> and so him, I think about him. Kawhi has been like that for years. Now we, he's on a little bit more. But the, that's kind of the way I grade a lot of that. And Jokic fits that bill as well <coughs> because that. because of that and because they just haven't been on TV. Yeah. And so I'm really interested to see how people kind of take to this team now that they're going to have a little bit more exposure. There are expectations there for them. Yeah. Gary Harris is a very good player. Another guy that got a pretty decent amount of money. There was a comp with him and Clay about just the numbers year by year. And listen, Clay is, I don't know, the third best shooter ever or something like that. But you're just like, oh yeah, Harris is smaller. There are differences. But statistically... You can kind of see it coming. He can defend. There's certain things that he could do. It's like, yeah, but nobody ever talks about Gary Harris unless you're a hoops junkie, whatever. And you wouldn't because it's, yeah. it's, it's Denver, and unless it's Carmelo Anthony there, you're not thinking about that. Yeah. But uh, but they, they're capable. They, they definitely should make the playoffs. I, I, I don't expect it, but I could kind of see them maybe being a top half of the playoff uh, playoffs type of team in the West, maybe. Yeah. And another thing that excites me is we we said okay we're done with big man and this is going to be, LeBron is sort of an exception because he's sort of a big man but he's also a hybrid guard, whatever yeah. a hybrid but you know that the Currys and the Walls and Westbrooks are going to run the sport holy crap are the big men exciting right now Jokic, Cat, Porzingis and Embiid just like, those four I mean. they're aliens I've never seen guys like this before and yeah. each of them is a different kind of alien Embiid might be literally the best athlete we've ever seen I don't, I don't, I don't even understand Embiid him. might be uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble I like hyperbole go 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 <laughs> if he could stay healthy you could make the argument that he's a top 10 guy now in terms of the impact that he has I completely don't disagree I, I mean I'm, of course Philly would be a playoff team if he could be healthy now that that's that, I don't think that's hyperbole because I know how bad Philly is without him. Yes. And, and so that's the thing is like anybody that can have that kind of impact without having played, it's kind of the reverse of what I was just saying about Rose. He missed all that time, and you after a while you have to say it's not rust anymore. With Embiid, he lost all that time and started playing the sport so late, yeah. and he's, he's like a savant. Like it's crazy how he good he is threes defending the rim. And, dirk one-footed jumper. Like what did this happen? And he's still growing. I mean, yeah. he's still going to have a lot of room to grow. I, I wrote last year that he loses the ball in double teams pretty much more than any other high-volume player. So he's got he's got room to grow, but, I mean, it's a lot easier to double someone when your other teammates can't shoot, when five guys can gang up on you. He's got some shooting around now. J.J. Redick has a huge contract yeah. for just the one year. Sarge can shoot. Um, Sarge can shoot, yeah. and you've got guys um, that can actually can handle the ball and create a shot now. So it'll be interesting. It's, jury's still out on Markel Fultz and what jump shot he's going to use. Yeah. But, right. you know, they actually should have some shooting on that team this year. Covington's a good player. They, they could take a step this year. I, I, I still don't necessarily know if I see them as being a playoff team. And part of that is because we don't know if Embiid's going to play more than 30 games. But if he can, and if the other guys can contribute at all, and with the fact that now all of a sudden Hayward and everybody else, the East is not scary at all, they could, they could be a playoff team. I could see it. That stuff is so tantalizing about the guy who's just coming into the sport relatively late. And there's two guys. One is in the NBA. It's Olajuwon. That's the obvious person sure. and, and whatever. And in baseball, was Larry Walker. Larry Walker played hockey and didn't really care for baseball, and they threw him $1,500. He said, all right, I'll give it a go. And Larry <laughs> Walker is like a borderline Hall of Fame player. Right. And and I remember Olajuwon. I'm out of the college basketball fan then, too. This is like a, this early, early when I was first starting to watch sports. But that Houston team with him and Drexel was ridiculous. My dad was in college there at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Holy shit, that must have been <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And And – you just start to see the things that Olajuwon could do. And then by the time he's peaking in the mid-90s and he's putting David Robinson in the blender, David Robinson, one of the best players in the history of the sport, you're just like, 
you, you're, it, there's something about whether it's a rookie, whether it's a guy who hasn't had the reps. You're like, who knows what the ceiling is? Porzingis is seven foot three. Like, <laughs> it's not that he's like a big guy who can shoot. Like, he's. I just don't know. Cat, like, there's still holes in Cat's game, and you're like, you're a little frustrated because you feel like you can get there. But gosh, if we're nitpicking Cat at that level, like, it's. These are 22 year old guys. It's really exciting, these guys. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens with them. I'm also scared because, in some cases, they're playing for organizations that historically messed us up. Yes. Um, You know, the the Timberwolves are still in the midst of the longest drought in the NBA right now in terms of playoffs, 13 years. Yeah. I think they'll make it this year. I'm not quite as high on them this year as a lot of people are. Um, Butler and Wiggins don't fit. That, I, I, mean, I mean, they could in some ways, yeah. but I think that they duplicate a lot of yeah. what the other person does. But I, I, I more think that, man, this would have been a really great team to have kept Ricky Rubio for because you need a distributor. Jeff Teague actually ranks out really well in terms of assists, but yeah. he's looking for his own shot a lot of the time, too. And so I think this is a team that could use someone – other than a Jamal Crawford yeah. who, you know, can score himself yeah. and led the league in isolation rate last year. You could find somebody that just is a distributor. I tend to think that this will get me killed too. Um, Tyus Jones could actually help yeah. them just by being someone that's not looking for a He's shot every all time the way comes down the first. court. At Duke, he was like that too. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, something like that. But Towns, you know, and I, I feel better about him being in, in Tom Thibodeau's hands. Uh, yeah, yeah. And something like that. I think that that could work out. Uh, Porzingis, I have no clue because I don't see this as being the team that he's going to be go uh, surrounded by, and and maybe you know if even if this is going to be the coach, I don't really know how much longer Hornacek has. And so, just looking at wanting these guys almost like, um, you know, your pet or something. Yeah. Wanting, if you're not there in town, watching them, taking care of them. I don't cover the Knicks anymore. Wanting someone to take care of them when, <laughs> when you're not there. And so that's my only concern is that. Um, do these franchises take good care of them? I think Jokic will be fine. I think that um, Embiid, I think he's got good young players around him. Yeah. I think he'll be fine. I think it's more a question of health with him. The other two, it's kind of more like, are they in the right place? And I think Minnesota probably has enough of the right parts around Carl uh, Anthony Towns. Yeah, I feel. I guess that's such a thing. And even it goes to, to some extent, players who don't win the title, it's like, were Barkley and Malone not awesome? Of course they were awesome, but it's just the circumstances. And sure. legacies get decided by who your teammates are and, you lucked out in the trade. I mean, Jokic was a low pick. Just you, you don't know this stuff. And so afterwards, we're like, well, clearly this guy was better than this guy. Well, th- these debates are difficult because it's a true team sport and it's all flow and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to ask you about the Warriors, um, their first loss notwithstanding. Let's run through a scenario where they don't win a title, and let's assume that nobody gets wow. seriously hurt. Let's okay. assume that they're healthy. Okay. Because I think that they could lose somebody and still win the title. That's how good they are. Wow, okay. I, I mean, I think that they could easily lose... Well, not easily. I don't think any team could easily withstand a, an injury like that. But I think if Steph got hurt, I think that they'd still have a shot yeah. at coming out of the West. Which is bonkers. And I think it. if Durant – I mean, we've seen them play with this roster. I, I guess they had Harrison Barnes. But, I mean, I think it's more the role guys that you can't lose more so than – you know. I think they could withstand the loss of a star yeah. and still have a shot at this. Okay, but if so, they don't win. Well, let's start here. Is Nick Young good now? Because <laughs> I'm excited. Here's the thing about Nick Young. So, um, uh, lived in LA okay. for a few years, and we were uh, season ticket holders for USC basketball. Okay. Nick Young. Oh, so you watched him in college. <laughs> Nick Young is not Swaggy P. He's Noodles Nick Young, which is the name that Petros Papadakis, the local radio personality, <laughs> gave to him. He's Noodles Nick Young. I've always loved Nick Young. And he became a meme, and he's dating so and so, and I'm just like, whoa, 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 this is my Nick Young. Rocks here. 
and 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 he was always a gunslinger, and it was always this and always that. Yeah, actually, a very big, a great mid-range shooter as opposed to three-point shooter. That's interesting. Yeah, he really he would just get to the like the elbow, he shoot from sixteen, and that was his shot. Huh. He was like Pierce a little bit in that way. Anyway, so now here's this guy. He's larger than life. A little bit of Jr. I guess in that sense, but like. I've always felt in the right system that he could absolutely be a volume scorer. And yes, you're giving it up on defense and this, that. But like Lou Williams is a quality player in this league. There are all these other guys who are very respected. Eric Gordon, every guy who played for the Rockets maybe. (laughs) But but it just feels like he's developed this reputation as, I'm I'm going to, might sound a little harsh, but like this clownish kind of figure. Why can't he fill it up? Maybe Durant takes five games off because he's got a nasty case of the flu and the guy just goes nuts for a while. If JaVale McGee can be made to be a quality NBA player, I think Nick Young can be made to be a quality NBA player. I think that, and I, I tweeted this last night, I think he's going to end up being so much better of a fit there than any of us realized. Maybe not the Warriors because everything seems to come up roses for yeah, them. Yeah. But when you look at the signings, that they, obviously Kevin Durant, you don't get credit for being able yes. to to think, wow, he might make our team better and then it actually happening. But one thing that you notice in adding Kevin Durant to that roster, you look at the top five or six guys in the league at their, the percentage of shots that they make on catch-and-shoot threes, and the list is basically Steph, Clay, another guy, and then I think Durant was like fourth. <laughs> then you add him to that, and it's like, then you factor in how many open shots that team gets because of having all the spacing on the floor. You can't help on anybody because if you help off of one guy, it means someone else is open and is probably one of those deadly shooters. So then you add Durant to that. And now you look at last year's list, and then you look at it and you see Nick Young like fifth or sixth in the league. Mm-hmm. And you put him in a situation where now he's not playing for the sorry Lakers who can't create a shot or don't have guys that are getting people good looks. And then you put him in a situation where all he has to do is shoot, which is Nick Young's fantasy. Of course. And now you look up and you see him make his first five or six threes. Yeah in a game, and it makes total sense, he doesn't even really have to defend. All he has to do is shoot, and this is an ideal, this is a panacea for him. He's, yeah. he's great in that role. I don't know if he'll be like that all the time. He still strikes me as an up-and-down sort of player, but there's a much greater likelihood that he'll be up more than he'll be down when you take away all the other variables and just have him shoot. We're, it feels like we keep talking about this in the context of system. Well, we don't know if Porzingis is going to show out the way that he can because he plays for the Knicks, and we know that Nick Young is because he plays for the Warriors. And we're having these discussions about talent and all that. On a very basic level, you know, the Warriors have this system. What is the system? It's pace and space. It's being able to shoot and all this stuff. So does that mean that it's impossible to replicate? Does that mean that every other version, no, every other team that tries to do it, it's like the movie Multiplicity with Michael Keaton? You're like, you're a little bit, <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what I just did right now. You're eroding it a little bit each I time. I just thought about the cover of that movie and how funny it is because you literally have like 38 Michael Keaton. Oh yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, if, you know, it doesn't look to the untrained eye that complicated, why can't every team just say, okay, we're going to spread the court, we're going to draft a bunch of shooters and here we go. Like, why is it that the Warriors have this Monopoly, something like that they have talent on being at this level. Because you can't, you can't watch it work to perfection unless you have the talent. And so, you know, I think the version of this that we saw teams try to replicate and it not work in some cases were teams that were trying to take after the Spurs with their ball movement. The one time we really saw it work was Atlanta. They had a 61 yep. year. With the they same had, coach. They had a sort of roster. They, they, that, now, there were plenty of assistants that got hired elsewhere. True. I remember Jacques Vaughn never working out in Orlando. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they were really trying to implement that system, 
But, you know, you have teams that take bits and pieces of things and try to make things work. But, I mean, yeah, the Warriors had an unreal run. The only other team I can think about in recent history that drafted that well is Oklahoma City with Durant and Westbrook and Ibaka and Harden. But when you draft the way that they drafted and you have certain things fall into place the way they did and you, you I don't know if you could call it luck into getting Steve Kerr, yeah. who was in a verbal agreement with the Knicks, but you have someone that is willing to implement that system and has the shooters to make it work and also ties in some wrinkles and doesn't have antiquated thinking that wants to use some of the old pieces of old parts that don't work um, when you use them in whole, like in, in the triangle in New York where Phil is trying to run the pure triangle. Um, I, I just think it was kind of a perfect storm of draft, obviously free agency with Kevin Durant, even an imperfect storm in the sense that some of the stuff worked out because Steph Curry's ankles didn't hold up the first few years of his career. You get him on a cheaper deal that allows for Durant to come in. You get the coach at the right time. Um, I mean, the fact that you end up losing a series uh, or, or winning a series against Oklahoma City, that if you had lost that series, Kevin Durant probably stays put there. All sorts of things that kind of like when you look back at this, it's going to make the most fascinating 30 for 30 because it really shouldn't have happened this way, but it is. And now it's probably going to change the face of the sport. People could also read the book Beta Ball by Eric Malinowski. That too. That's, that too. That's also I hope option. he partners with somebody so they can make a 30 for 30 out of that. That would be awesome, actually. I love Eric. Uh, he's great. <laughs> and a great human being. Um, it's interesting, too, because... You talked about Kerr, and I'm the last guy to be like, yeah, it was the coach. Like, no, it's the players. But um, I did a piece on Kerr, Joe Madden, and Pete Carroll, and they were just talking about joy. All three of these guys. And, you know, cynics could say, well, maybe their reputation exceeds their whatever. Madden makes mistakes. Carroll's done this, whatever. But they're all in on joy. And you watch something like the Kyrie situation, and it wasn't like a disaster. The Cavs had a good run and everything like that, but it just wasn't going to hold. Westbrook and Durant. Now, Durant may be signed somewhere else for reasons that have nothing to do with Westbrook, sure. whatever. But these things are tenuous, and this idea of culture, this idea of everybody buying in, this idea of, of LeBron James Jones, it feels more fragile than I think it, it is, like it, or, or less fragile. Well, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's fragile, is what I'm saying. And I wonder, you know, if as you go in to hire a coach, you're thinking about culture the most. Thibodeau is a great defensive coach and all that stuff. Sure. Are we sure that people are going to die for Thibodeau? Are we sure that Thibodeau puts his players in a position where not only do they try hard to win, but they'll just play there for 13 years? I don't know. And there might be like two of these guys in the world for all we know. It might be Kerr and, you know, the 1992 version of Phil Jackson, and that's it. Like maybe that is a commodity that we don't realize is really hard to find. That and, and, and then when you talk about what makes dynasties so difficult to come by, it's also this idea that, even if you can do it once, can you do it three times? Can yes. you do it four times? And that's the real challenge. You, you look at a situation like uh, Thibodeau and what he had there, and the idea that it sounds it sounded like guys tuned him out after yes. a while, and that happens. And and that's kind of the crazy thing with Kyrie Irving. He's probably over the moon playing f- with LeBron for a while. Yeah. After two three years, does that get old? And, and does it become something that you're not willing to to really do anymore? Even LeBron's situation in Miami. I mean, can guys stay? together and healthy long enough yeah. to make it work. Dwayne Wade had kind of broken down. Now, he's had, I don't know if you call it a full resurgence, but, I mean, he's looked more Pretty good for his age. Yeah. For his age, I'd take it, yeah. absolutely. But the idea that, like, you know, he looked at the situation and probably didn't feel like he could win a whole lot more titles there. Yeah. So I, I, I totally get why the dynasties don't happen. But even for a single season, everything working out, you figure Draymond suspensions and everything else, like, how fragile this stuff is, especially in the NBA, especially where you've got 82 games, 
especially where some teams don't even really believe in resting guys. That's actually what's really interesting about Thibodeau is that uh, I was out in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago for their media day and talking to him and asking kind of, you know, do you feel like you found the balance now between he had another young player tear an ACL, another 20-point-per-game scorer, Zach Levine, and someone asking him, like, do you feel like you found that balance now of how much to play guys so that, you know, they're not running right up against injuries? And instead of his response being like, you know, he took the gear sabbatical after he got fired here in Chicago, and instead of saying, like, you know, I learned from that, now just rest guys when they have the opportunity to rest, and, you know, if we're not playing for anything that night, back-to-back, we rest somebody. Instead of that said, well, you know, we we spent a lot of time looking at this in free agency, and we now, after we signed Jamal Crawford and Jimmy Butler or whoever it was, now we've got five of the 17 guys that played all 82 games last year. It's like, (laughs) you're going the opposite direction with this. And it's like, so... Some of these things, like I, for that reason, I really doubt that Minnesota becomes a dynasty. Even if they do hmm. get fortunate enough to win a title, I don't think you're winning dynasty in this day and age. With you take these rest rules and you go the other way with it and try to play harder and play more and play guys more minutes, I don't think that's going to work. Well, especially when you get to the conference finals and you get deep, you're going to be deep. worn down. I don't care how young you are. No question. I think that's. I don't know if the Spurs are underrated. It's hard for me to look at NBA media and declare this stuff. But I feel like it's not just that they're a dynasty. It's that they're like Lakers-Celtics kind of dynasty. Like, they didn't just do it with one group. Duncan was a common denominator for a long, long time. They've adapted so much. So much. I mean, I just remember when people were – and by the way, Pop, we talk about people who encourage joy in playing. And Pop doesn't seem to (laughs) evoke it. He doesn't exude much joy. But his players will – anything for Pop. Anything for Pop. And I just remember the Spurs – you know, six, seven, whatever it was. They were plotters, man. Like, it was just throw the ball into Duncan doing this, and, and the knock on the Spurs was that they were boring. But this is the best team in the NBA, and I don't like watching them. And then they were not boring at all. They were the most fascinating team. And, like, they unleashed Ginobili a little bit, who's, like, the coolest and all this stuff. It's, it's key. yes, you did have Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili, and you did have Pop, and that's all true. But the DNA changes as you watch the NBA unfold, and there's something about Pop and Buford and all those people just seeing what's happening in real time, and not even changing personnel. Same personnel, different style. Seems much harder to do than just, oh, we need shooters now? Okay, we, we, we renounce all our Vera Jows and we sign all the Eric Gordons. No, no, no. Same, you know, they fill around the edges and whatever, and sure. here's Aldridge and here's this guy. I'm struggling to think of an example like that in any sport where there was a hockey dynasty that's like, oh, now it's the time for this, or baseball, or whatever. It seems like the Spurs stand alone in that respect, and I think that we just need to acknowledge... Yeah, they had good guys the whole time, but they did it in seven different ways. That's why, and and I, I know there's, I can think of one person in particular, but I think there's a segment of fans, maybe not now that he's not there anymore, maybe they don't feel the same allegiance, but um, they thought I was taking a shot at Phil Jackson when I said, Pop is the greatest coach of all time. Yeah. In basketball, and I don't even think you need to say it as a slight to Phil, no. but I think we need to get away from this culture. That, like I said, maybe the antiquated culture, maybe 20 years from now there won't be any of us left that think this, that rings are what determine how good a coach you are. Yeah. Uh, or the number of rings, ranking you as one coach against another. Pop has half as many as Phil, and I would say I take Pop all day long because he's done this multiple generations, really. Yeah. Um, you know, mostly the same core of guys, but totally different styles to where you can kind of, there are like three things, two or three things that I could tell you whether or not you're an informed fan or not of the sport. Yeah. One of them is whether you think Dwight Howard is a Hall of Famer, 
And if your answer is no, I'm not considering you an informed fan. Is, yes. Just because and you might not like him. Exactly. Yeah. One. And two, the other one is like, do you think the Spurs are boring? And if your answer to that is yes, at this point, with Kawhi Leonard and all this other stuff, yeah. especially with the off-the-court stuff right now with Pop, yeah. which, I mean, that's a separate conversation, yeah. you're not paying attention. They've been the best defense in the league for years. I think they've been a top-10 defense now 17 of the last 20 years. Maybe you find defense boring. That doesn't make them boring. Yeah. Um, I feel like the way they play defense, I wrote a story last year. Um, I was actually trying to explain it to a new editor that just started working for 530 because she's like, I don't understand what you mean here where you're trying to explain their IQ and how their IQ is so much higher. And the data point that I point to with that is that I think two out of the last three years or three out of the last four years, they've been like a top five team in defending corner threes, which is the most efficient shot if you can get it really outside of a layup in basketball. And the Spurs defend that shot better than anybody. And then when I looked into some more specialized statistics on that, they actually have one of the lowest rates of actually contesting that shot in the mm-hmm. league. And it's like, how are they leaving that shot wide open and just getting lucky for five straight years? <laughs> no, it's that they're leaving certain guys wide open purposely because they know they can't make them yeah. and really working hard to defend the guys that they know can make them. And so it's like they're thinking on a different level than a lot of these other teams. Their ability to identify so they work like a robot. And I feel like there's a lot of stuff that when you talk about a robot versus the rest of the league, they should have more success. But we take that for granted with them because they've done it for 20 years now. You talked about the off-court stuff with Pop and all that. And, uh, again, one of the most we, – we talk about the harmony of the NBA within players, but the, the social element of it is just – and LeBron even said he's from Ohio. You know, that's the state that Trump carried. And he, he said it in, in those words. He cited the president's name. He said, this is what I have to deal with and whatever – and nobody's backing away from it. It's not the Jordan days of, you know, every Republicans buy sneakers too, which may or may, he may or may not have said in the first place. <laughs> right, I've seen that. Who knows? But um, that's interesting. And, you know, where we're at in the sports landscape and obviously the NFL and, and, and the ongoing Kaepernick stuff. Is this going to accelerate? I mean, is the NBA going to keep going more and more? Like, are we, are we now permanently entrenched in the next generation, the kid who's playing AAU now is going to be the woke LeBron of 20 years from now? Because it feels like the genie's sort of out of the bottle. And, you know, other than if you're Andrew Bogut, I think you pretty much, I think you're <laughs> Spencer kind Spencer of, Hawes and Andrew Spencer Bogut. Spencer Hawes, yeah. <laughs> it, it just feels like that is the makeup of the league right now. Um, and, and, and maybe we're staying that way. I don't know. I mean, it's, I'll tell you, the, the racial makeup of it makes it a lot different. And I think... yeah. I wonder now if you had, first of all, if you had a coach who was really, really strongly in favor of Donald Trump, yeah. one, if they would feel totally comfortable saying so in this environment with the way the rest of the league is, yeah. specifically all the biggest voices kind of coming out in opposition to Donald Trump. But like you said, LeBron, you know, consciously, subconsciously, seems like he's kind of really just knocked that wall down. Yep. I mean, the, his media day press conference, for anyone that didn't see it, was like, wow. And this is coming from someone that is living in Chicago, can't get in a cab and have someone ask me what I do for a living and mention that I write about basketball without people asking or talking about LeBron and comparing him to Michael Jordan, saying that he'll never be Michael Jordan. I know I'm really happy to see someone that's willing to speak his mind and not worry about sales as it relates to shoes or popularity and taking a really, really big stance and basically I thought he, he didn't even dance around it necessarily, maybe a little bit. The question of, like, you play in a state that voted for Donald yeah. Trump, and you're saying this about the voters? And he's like, well, I'll just say that maybe they were uninformed. 
or maybe that they made a mistake. If they won't say they made a mistake, I'll say it. It's harsh. That's a very harsh yeah. comment to make. But it's also interesting because I kind of feel like LeBron, in terms of what he does, is above reproach. I think Pop, in terms of what he does as a basketball coach, is above reproach. Yeah. This is also someone that has a military background in Pop. And so it's kind of someone that is bulletproof, so to speak. And and I think I wonder sometimes, but I'm also curious about this. I was having this conversation earlier today. Yeah. We've seen Donald Trump go at Steph and the Warriors. Oh, yeah. I don't doubt that Donald Trump would say something about LeBron. It'll be interesting to me whether he takes on someone like Steve Kerr or, Don, or um, Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich, given that they're white men. I mean, there's been a, a pretty uh, delineated history here of Trump specifically going after people of color. Jamel. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, Jamel, I'll, who didn't say anything all that inflammatory in the first place. Jamel, who's awesome. Jamel, Jamel, who I love. Yes, of course, we all love Jamel. She's Jamel, obviously great. I love and yes. I hope everything. Me too. Gets better with that. Because I, I hope love, Jamel runs a media empire. I, I would and, love and that. Hires a hundred more men Jamels. That's <laughs> I what would. I, want. I would love that. Yeah. We need more people with her story yeah. and her background in the industry. I love Jamel, but I, it, it makes me curious as to whether, like, how much louder can can Pop and and Kerr get without Trump really repudiating what they're saying? Yeah. Given that he's going after everybody else and calling players sons of bitches for kneeling and taking a peaceful protest. It's really interesting, but it's also like open your eyes if you can't see who he's targeting here yeah. and who he's leaving alone, even though these are people that are just as prominent in the same sport. Well, he's pretty much decided that Puerto Rico is not America, so... <laughs> the, the Prime Minister of the Virgin Islands. Yes, it is. yes, lovely. Um, I, I want Just a couple President. more. I want to ask you, yeah, right. I want to ask you about um, the role in the state of analytics when it comes to basketball, because I feel like... Uh, it's not something that gets talked about in the mainstream all that much. Obviously, there's a huge wing of, of basketball analysis right now that's fantastic and prevalent in the sport, and people like, like Zach Lowe and you and this, the people like that are getting jobs and doing fun stuff. Um, let's say that you are a basketball fan and you're just not at the analytical bent. I guess it's a what's-in-it-for-me question. Why should I be happy, excited about the fact that, oh, we're adding this extra layer uh, to how the sport is viewed both within teams uh, within how it's written, within how it's talked about on TV. Why could that be a good thing? I, You know, I, I think, honestly, I, it's funny. You, you talk about politics and stick to sports and everything. Yeah. And I, I think more this year than any year before, I noticed that there is a tendency to kind of say stick to sports. And when that happens, it's when someone disagrees with you. Yep. I think... If people, if you have a conversation with someone about analytics and you actually walk them through a process that kind of can confirm what they already think or think might be happening and a statistic that actually speaks to that, I think people are more open to it. Maybe sometimes maybe they'll say, I didn't need a stat to show me that. But there's so many things that for so long, I know I've been interested in kind of putting a number to. And I think when people kind of see a light bulb come on that says, Oh, like, see, I knew that that was happening. Yeah. I think that's kind of a way in with a lot of people. And a lot of the stuff I do, I don't think I'm reinventing the wheel. Yeah. I think I'm finding a way to try to track something that we generally think, but now we can actually prove it. And not only prove that, but prove that this guy is so much better at this. I just wrote a story a couple of days ago about Clay Thompson and how quickly he gets off his shot. And how he gets off his shot basically pretty much in 0.7 seconds or less. Oof. Almost kind of like Mike D'Antoni, but just uh, you know, on a whole different level. And yeah. how often he does that versus anyone else. I did a story right before the finals, Kevin Love, and how he throws these crazy 80-foot outlet passes. And how he threw more 60-foot outlet passes than every other team. 
Uh, you know, and, and so that or James, that's bonkers. That or James Harden. Like I wrote the story through James Harden and the idea that he got fouled shooting three pointers more than any other team did. And so numbers like those, like it, sometimes you don't realize the magnitude of something <laughs> until you find a way to measure it. And so I think that's kind of it's just like with government and trying to find out where are we really um, just we we have a surplus of something or we have something that we're overusing, just like plane records yeah. to investigate. You know, if we're we're making the best use of taxpayer money. It's kind of the same way, like, to keep things in check or to say, like, sound the alarm how crazy this is that this guy is doing this or that he's getting this many foul calls for something that he's basically flopping and the league is letting him get away with it to a ridiculous extent. So, I mean, that's kind of what I use it for is to kind of point out things that maybe we know it, but we didn't know it was this bad or this crazy or this good. And so I think that's one way in sometimes is to serve as a confirmation bias for a lot of people that Mm. might be curious about something. But you're never going to win everybody over. I, I saw a good friend of mine uh, on Twitter. He said something to the effect of, "Yo, if you come at me with, you know, talking about win shares, that's the first thing out of your mouth. We're having a debate. Like, I'm just going to turn off my phone or I'm just going to stop talking to you. Like, no, that's probably not the way to come at someone. But, right. you know, I talk to people on flights all the time and in cabs and they ask, what do I do? And I tell them I write about basketball. They're like, oh, that's so cool. And then when they ask what I write about, I try to tell them and I try to give them examples of what I write about. I'm just trying to write something that I think will be fun and entertaining to people yeah. or interesting to people. And I think that I don't try to make the story about the number. I try to present a number and then use that as a way in to kind of go deeper into something about how Clay Thompson learned how to shoot as quickly as he does. Or, you know, is is it a problem that James Harden's able to draw this many fouls? Or any any number of things. I did the story last year on the players who complain the most, getting back down the court slower than anybody else, and tracking who does it most often and most frequently. That's uh, uh, what's the data tracking company that does everything? Sport View. Sport View. So they, they have that too. So I, I but they, <laughs> that's I don't incredible. Think, they don't look. They don't think to do it. I'm kind of like so. I'm not the one running the numbers. They yeah. are, but I'm the one asking like, is this possible? And if the answer is yes, then I want to move forward with it because. I'm just watching game thinking like, man, LeBron gets back so slow. Or when he's angry, they always give up a basket. Yeah. When he's angry at a ref, they give up a basket because he's not getting back. On Is defense. he the worst? Is he the worst in the league? He was, I want to say third. It was Draymond, which okay. you can imagine the hate mail I got from Warriors fans in a year where he wins Defensive Player of the Year as being the most loafing person. Well, that just defense. means that he was so good when he was actually trying. Exactly. If anything, it's a compliment. Exactly. Yeah. I said that in the story, but you can imagine that there were people that were not happy in the blogs and the emails I got back from that. Uh, it was him. It was Russell Westbrook, okay. which that makes sense to me because he's flying through the air and he land in running. The stands. <laughs> that, especially if he gets nudged, even the slightest oh, yeah. bit. Him and the other person that was on the list because of that was John Wall, um, and so Both they three. were both top five. Yeah. And then there was LeBron, who was number three. Uh, there were a lot of other guys on the list. Then there were other interesting guys, and this is actually what I thought was more interesting. Like Trevor Ariza was like in the top ten on that list, and it was a result of where he stands. When James Harden has the ball to stop the key, he's always in the corner. So he's basically the farthest away from getting back to the other end of the court. So, I mean, I I saw that as fun. I saw that as a fun story. Um, Like, you know, if you want to make more out of it than that, if you hate analytics because of stories like that, then fine. But, like, I don't see anything wrong with having more information rather than less. Whether you like the information, trust the information, that's a different debate. But I feel like having more information is always better than having less. And just don't process it. Just leave it to the side for the rest of us nerds, I guess. But I'm watching the games. I'm in the locker rooms. I'm traveling, busting my butt to talk to these guys who generally, they find these stories pretty interesting. Cool. Clay thought that this was the coolest thing. He's like, 
I told him how quickly he gets his shots off. He's like, sheesh. <laughs> literally used the word sheesh because it's Clay Thompson. <laughs> but, I mean, these guys, a lot of times they're blown away by a lot of this stuff too, and it's fun to talk to them. It's fun to talk to their coaches because it can kind of lead you to the next story and the next story. So it's a lot of fun for me. That's great. Yeah, the sport just has – it's so rooted in spatial relationships that it invites a level of analysis. Like baseball is just like, did you hit the ball or didn't you? And basketball <laughs> so much – which is fine. Yeah. But basketball just has so much nuance and, and just like I feel like there are 7,000 more stories that are like, oh, who's the slowest to get back on defense that we've not even thought of yet. I know. And, and there are so many good basketball writers now that – you're going to do it one day, and then it's going to be like Rob Mahoney the next day, and then it's going to be oh. somebody else, and it just never stops, and, and it just feeds on itself, and you might write a follow-up story to the Rob Mahoney Rob, story. Rob really lives good. here, and we've talked about I've, like I've told Rob for years. He he's one play. of my favorite. I don't like guarding him. That's another story. Is he a good player? He's pretty I've good. never played basketball. He's crafty. He, um, I, I told him, and I, I, it's funny because like, I never really say it to suck up to people. I genuinely, if I, if I tell you I really enjoy reading you, it's because I really enjoy reading yeah. you, like to those people's pieces. Um, you know, I, I will look at their stories to kind of look at some of the same numbers they're looking at to try to figure out. It, it like gives me new stuff to draw from yep. and new ways to think about writing. And I've told him like I just love the way you write. There's so many people. He, Tom Haberstro, leaving Tom's ESPN. Great. Tom's starting um, some sort of. I know Tom is Tom is so it's great. It's ridiculous. But I've told these guys like I'm the text I sent Tom to congratulate. Him, I'm like, you've made me so jealous. With some of the stories you've written because I thought I might have a good story on that. And then I saw yours. Or I was in the midst of writing a story and then yours came out first. And there's just so many guys like that now yeah. in the league that, um, you know, people talk about me as being one of the people that really brings analytics to the fore in NBA coverage. I'm like, if I was, I'm not anymore because there's just so many people. And all the numbers that they've made public, it's like I don't even have this stuff just at my fingertips. Everybody does. And so it's challenging and it's like a good way to keep people on their toes. And it forces me to think about what's next beyond just writing about the sport with these numbers and this set of numbers because everybody has this stuff now. And if I'm not quick about getting something out, someone else will write it before I do. Yeah, the thing that I maybe even like the best is when you have stories that do have some grounding in analytics, but it's like, here's why Tinder affects. <laughs> like, I mean, that's perfect because yeah. it's salacious and crazy or whatever, exactly. but it's like, and here's the data. Exactly. You're just like, yes, yes, this is how you use data. You use data to tell stories. Literally what we do as journalists is we tell stories. The data is a conduit. That's all exactly. it is. I was taught at the Wall Street Journal, um, I was covering the Jets. Were you working for Sam Walker? Was you Sam Walker. Sam, Sam Walker. No better on. editor in America. He's great. Yeah. Sam is great. Yeah. And um, he brought me on, and I remember... Jeff too. Jeff, yeah, and Jeff's my editor at 538 now. Oh. Um, and so Jeff is great. Yeah. Uh, he came on a couple months after I did. But yeah. the way I was taught at the Wall Street Journal was that basically numbers basically are like quotes. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it can be an opinion depending on how you use the numbers, but it's a level of evidence the same way that like you were talking to a source, you would use that evidence. And really a, a, a number is even better than a quote in some ways because it can refute what someone's quote was if that quote was wrong. So I remember I asked, I was on the Jets beat, I asked Rex Ryan, why do you think Mark Sanchez's completion rate has been so low? I mean, the obvious answer is that he sucks. <laughs> um, but Rex <laughs> obviously wasn't going to say that. So Rex yes. said, you know, we have him throw the ball downfield so much. And, I mean, anyone that watched the Jets for those years know that, you know, Mark Sanchez was like Captain Checkdown. Literally um, the words Captain Checkdown. Yeah, he threw so many. I've never seen someone throw so many interceptions on screen passes. But <laughs> basically, so that was a good example of Sam saying, like, you can quote Rex if you want. You can use the 
number to show that he's a liar right after yeah. that. And that's what I basically did is I showed, like, you know, he said that he's throwing the ball downfield so much, and so he's taking more gambles. That's why he doesn't complete that many passes compared to everybody else. But actually, the numbers show that's not true. And, I mean, that's, like, you need – that's really what we need, frankly, in, like, political accountability writing. in terms of political stuff. It's just people to call people on stuff when it's wrong or when it's just, like, a blatant lie. And yeah. so there, you can complain about numbers all day long, but I think the checks and balances that it allows for – are wonderful, and it also allows you to kind of look at things differently, or to confirm or deny what you thought might have been accurate. Uh, this is all great, lovely conversation. I have one question left, which I do at the end of every podcast. I always ask the guests for a life tip, a nugget of wisdom, a thing. This is my Chris thing. I meet you at the Mexican place that I now regret not having gone to across the street because you've claimed that it's ah, so good. Next time you're here. Next time I'll have to go to the Mexican place. <laughs> but we meet, and we're having a margarita or whatever, and I say, I'm Jonah, I'm all about whatever, and you say... What do you say? And it could be serious or not serious or whatever you want. It's just like, this is what your friends know you for. This is what your parents know you for. This is what the world knows you for. Take take time to figure out how you can set yourself apart. I, you know, I, I got into this industry. I just wanted to be a reporter so bad. Yeah. I was in college and hated school because it was taking away from my ability to do reporting. Same. Uh, and so, I mean, that's how I knew I wanted to do this. But even once I got there to, you know, the Wall Street Draws interning there, I got hired there full time. Um, I didn't I didn't have anything that was setting me apart. Uh, it took me going to sports. I basically was traded to the sports section, was in the sports section, covered the Jets. As much as I love Sam, Sam was basically like, I don't really feel like you're a great fit for this, man. Like, we got to figure out if this is working for us. So why don't we put you on the Knicks beat? Like, I, I feel like I was put on the Knicks beat as like a throwaway. And that ended up being what kind of sparked my interest in finding new ways to cover a team that was being covered by everybody. Yes. Why was I giving someone a reason to read my work as opposed to the other six beat writers on that beat? So what I basically did for that offseason in that summer, it was the summer that they were losing Jeremy Lin. I, was, I, I read up on every single thing I could. I watched so much film on them. I read up on the backgrounds of all the players. I studied how old they were getting that summer from the summer before. Mm-hmm. They went from being something like 25 on average to like 30 or 31, oldest team in NBA history. So I wrote that. That was my first story. And I basically wrote a story about like, will this team hold up long term for the rest of the season with how old these guys are? I dealt with people saying that's a great story. I dealt with people saying this is stupid. Like all their (laughs) young guys are Carmelo and Amari and Tyson. They're all young. They're going to be fine. And then watch those three, all of them, get hurt at one point or another because their backups weren't able to really fill in for them because they were all hurt. And so – Writing stories and being able to call stuff before it happens. I work for a boss that does that pretty well, um, you know, and Nate Silver. But being able to set your part, yourself apart somehow, whether it's analytics, whether it's that you are going to really spend time <coughs> scouting stuff more closely than other people. You look at the Draft Express folks. Oh, yeah. Um, anything. But it, I almost feel like investing more time in figuring out how to be different and insightful in some different way is more valuable than just doing a lot of something. Mm. Maybe in doing a lot of something, you'll realize ways that you like doing it and ways that you don't or ways that get through to readers and ways that don't. But spending the time to figure out how you're going to do something differently than other people pays off big time eventually because you're giving people a reason to to look out for your work. And I kind of feel like until I was doing that, I didn't really feel like I was successful at what I was doing. I feel like that would go beyond writing, too. Absolutely. You could do that as a dermatologist or whatever. There's just so want. many people. Like, I, I never realized it. I was I came back. I was at the University of Michigan. I was a freshman. I came back, like, one weekend in the school to Chicago to audition for American Idol. Come on. I auditioned for American Idol. I'm a decent singer. Wow. Uh, but auditioned for American Idol. Then 15,000 people were there. Yeah. And I realized how decent or mediocre I was. 
compared to 15,000 other people. I actually made it through one round of the auditions too. Wow. Um, but basically you, you've got to find a way to set yourself apart because yeah. there's just so many people that are, even me, I look at what I'm doing. I was on the phone with my agent a couple of weeks ago. I was like, man, like I'm, I, I appreciate you helping me get here, but I cannot be stagnant here. Yeah. I don't want to plateau at 30 yeah. because you know, I'm looking around not to say the wall street journal is a small pond, but like I went from being kind of a big fish in a small pond to now being in a pond that's enormous with a ton of fish. Yeah. Um, and I want to stand out still. I want to be on TV. I want to write stories that are memorable. Could be a book. Could be so I was else. like begging. Yeah. I was like, do not let me stay stagnant here. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. let me get comfortable at all because I want to keep, being different now that the league and everybody has hold of these numbers and knows how to use them and all these blogs are there's some fantastic NBA blogs. Twenty two year old kids were phenomenal. They're unbelievable. Yeah. They're people that are newsbreakers like Wolves. There, there's the guy that Shams lives here, um, and, and I see him all the time. And so it's like even that stuff motivates me. But I want to keep finding ways to be different and to get better at what I'm doing because I, I can't afford to be the same as everybody else. You won't stand out though. Uh, Chris, this was a pleasure and a delight. I am a huge fan of your work. And so I don't much. say that unless I mean it too. Just like <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. It's absolutely true. Uh, and this has been great. And I'm excited for this NBA season uh, to unfold. Thanks so much for having me, man. It's really nice to meet you.